Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Hello and welcome, everybody. Hello and welcome, everybody. (laughs) Hello and welcome, everybody. (laughs) This is the first time we ever actually start with an intro. I know. Usually we're just rambling on about fucking overalls or whatever. I don't think we've ever talked about overalls. Do you know in Canada they call it dungarees? Oh, I thought that was in Australia. Oh, it's probably Australia, too. Because dungarees sounds like a... An Australian thing. Australian word, like didgeridoo. Didgeridoo, yeah. (laughs) I think the, the Brits call it dungarees too and maybe in the south it's weird though i've never heard the the word dungarees before it's just a dirty word dungarees dung i'm gonna store my my dung in there we don't say dung enough that's funny that is fun dungarees i do own a pair of dungarees now (laughs) that i bought in uh the maple the maple country what's the maple country canada oh because the leaf on the on the on the uh, everything flag you know it's kind of cute here if you drive around Michigan, I assume it's like this in other places. If you drive around, you can find so many houses that sell eggs, like yes, fresh yeah. eggs or yeah. corn. Yep. In Canada, it's maple syrup. Really? Yeah. Isn't that cute? They, it's they, like a stereotype. I, was thought, I didn't think that'd be an actual thing. No, it totally is. Like instead of driving around in fresh eggs, it's like everybody has their own like fresh maple syrup. Like they have their own taps and everything the trees too. just bleed syrup over there. Right. They need to tap it. They need to let it loose or else it's bursting at the seams. Yeah. And in rural Michigan, we just have pregnant chickens that are just squirting out eggs. Right. We every have, quarter mile. We just have to offload them somewhere. Fresh brown eggs. Please take my eggs. What, We're um, in Canada. It's please take my syrup. Mm. <laughs> Both are innuendos. Ooh. Ooh. The maple country. Getting me feeling weird. <laughs> do, you, do you know why some eggs are white and some eggs are brown? Uh, I'm assuming melanin plays a part in this. Okay. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I was just hoping you would know. Uh, I would assume, yes, that melanin plays a part. Do you know duck eggs are green? That's repulsive. Isn't that cool? I actually, I saw a picture today. It was a hard boiled penguin egg. What? And it was clear. Oh. Yeah. What did the inside look like? It was clear, and then the center was like a like a hard boiled yolk, like chicken eggs. Okay. But the rest of it, like gelatin. Yeah, it was just like gelatin looking. It was weird. What sick son of a bitch hard boiled the penguin right? egg? That should be illegal. I think in Calgary, I read too, which is in Canada, Alberta, that in the zoos they had to take their penguins inside because it was too cold for the Antarctic penguins. That's nice. Penguins can't handle it here. That's how cold it is here. Right. In Newfoundland, they had so much snow that people were literally trapped in their houses. Like, if you open the door, it was just snow. Like, you couldn't even look outside because there was so much snow. That's, like, a sign that you shouldn't be there. I agree. Right? Like, that's nature being like, you should go somewhere else. It's literally like a doomsday. Yeah. Kind of shelter. Like, you have to have so much food rationed in case shit like that happens. How how can you live? I, I don't get it. What you could do, just brainstorming here. What you could do is take a really hot bath to where like your your body's extra hot, and you can just run through that snow wall on the front door and kind of melt your way through it. But what if the pipes are frozen? Because that's another thing you have to worry about. That's true. But that's an issue everywhere, right? When it gets cold, yeah, you just start drinking like blood. A, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yep, you resort to vampirism. Mm-hmm. 
All right, well, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> That's In a, a pinch, I would drink blood. I am your host, uh, Kaylee. And I'm your Jeremy. Ugh. Yeah, well, I'll redo that. Uh, hi, I'm Jeremy. <laughs> so, Jeremy. Yeah. I did as one does. Mm-hmm. I read a book. and. <laughs> oh, boy, was it a chapter book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. I'm like... What my, size was the font? My brain is teeming right now. With what? With excitement out and, of this book. Okay. Uh, it's called The Hidden Life of Trees. Have you ever heard of it? No, but it sounds like a book you would read. I mean that purely derogatorily. So The Hidden Life of Trees is, I don't know what his author's name is right now, and I don't feel like looking it up, so just look up Hidden Life of Trees and you'll find it. Okay. I'm only maybe a quarter of the way through right now, but it is so interesting. What's it about? It's about trees. What? (laughs) It starts off talking about how trees interact with each other, which I think is a really interesting concept because I don't really think about trees interacting with each other. Right. I just kind of think of them as their own stationary inanimate objects, I guess. The book is written by Peter Wallaben. Wallaben. Yeah, that sounds right. Wallaben. So what I think is interesting is trees have pretty much every sense that we do in that they talk to each other with vibrations. They can smell each other. They are connected by their roots with fungus. Yeah. So the entire forest is connected to each other with this like fungus system connecting by their roots. They found through research that some trees really favor like another tree over other ones. So if one tree in particular is sick or maybe not having as much sunlight so they can't produce as much sugar for energy, mm-hmm. they'll give a lot of their resources to that one particular tree. Maybe That's they'll give cute. like a little bit to the other ones, but they'll have like a favorite tree or like friendships between That's, uh, the trees. That's very cute. Or they have like family situations too. So like the mother will give a lot of the nutrients to its offspring. That makes me want to cry. I don't know why. (laughs) Doesn't it actually? It's like kind of like so wholesome. That is very wholesome. It's very cool too because insects and, you know, caterpillars and things will eat the leaves off trees. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about it in any way except, okay, well, a caterpillar needs to eat, so it eats the leaves, whatever. Yeah. But the trees can actually feel it and it can actually be painful how do they know it's painful the tree's response yeah so what they'll do is make the leaves taste bitter Ooh, so that the insects don't want to eat it anymore and they'll go to a different tree yeah it'll send actual electrical signals back to the tree but what the tree can do too is create this scent which will warn the other trees that there's insects nearby like munching on some leaves yeah so that those trees can make their leaves taste bitter too Wow. And they actually observe this in like the savanna with giraffes. Okay. So they have like the really tall trees. And when the giraffes start munching on them, the tree will respond by making it taste really bitter. And so the giraffes will move like 300 yards to a different tree because that's about the range of the scent. So researchers were like watching these giraffes eat like a few leaves and then they would fuck off somewhere else. And they're like, well, why, why are they, they traveling going? So much? Why are they going so far? Okay. And they found yeah. it was actually the tree sending off warning scents. And it would reach the other trees nearby so that the giraffes would have to move like 300 yards to get a tree that didn't know about the danger. Or the giraffes would move upwind because the scent can't move against the wind. It would move downwind. So the giraffes instinctively knew to go upwind 
to eat the leaves off the trees that what? didn't get the warning scent. That's so weird. So could a giraffe perceive that aroma, that odor? I think they learned it. That means like a dad giraffe is teaching the kid giraffes. Like, right. hey. This is going to taste like shit in a minute. You're going to go We're going to go wind. over here. Yeah. But they actually found that other plants can talk to each other too. Like we can't pick it up with our human ears, but they can actually hear another tree communicating with them through like vibrations in their roots. They have their own language. That's really weird. If you think about it. All we're doing right now is Making vibrating our, our vocal cords, right? You ever been too high and like and like you you watch something scary and you're like, I'm too high for this. <laughs> I'm yeah. sober right now and I'm too high for this. <laughs> really gets your mind thinking about this whole other society that you never knew existed. That's where I feel uncomfortable. Just because you can't perceive it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Actually, what's happening with like orchards and you know, monocultural agriculture systems like what we're doing now, we're basically severing that link between the trees. They're not able to communicate with each other anymore. Like they don't don't have that fungus connecting them and they don't have those friendships and connections and communication like they do in a forest. And that makes them a lot more susceptible to disease and sickness and and, yeah, bugs and fungus and drought. They don't got got the good fungus. And they're just a lot more sick that way yeah they don't have that support system that they do it's a a lot like people yeah (gasps) me and kaylee got fungus connecting us right right now our root systems athlete's uh, foot athlete's foot that's how we (laughs) trade the fungus and now we're doing footsies under the table yep now we're communicating in morse code with our fungus toes so i guess that doubles it's like a science corner and yeah there's there's your science corner that's wild We just took a break for a second, and uh, I went upstairs, and what was my father eating? Straight directly out of a large, large tub of cottage cheese. No, he wasn't. He was. Ugh. Isn't that repulsive? That's so like Randy, though. It's so Randy. Ugh, that's And it was disgusting. large curd. What so. did, he, did he even do anything? He wasn't ashamed, was he? I bet. No, he, I, he's probably proud of himself. He's like, this is healthy. Oh, my God. Uh, You're talking like this. You're talking like this. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever met my father? My father is not uh, from the bayou. That is the worst Randy impression I think I ever could have done. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. <laughs> Get some gators there, boy. Get some cottage cheese up in here. Some large kid. (laughs) So we're going to hop into a segment we haven't done in a minute, which is Tinderellas. I was just thinking about that today. We have not had Tinderellas in a while. Uh, Because neither of us are really on Tinder at the moment, so it is hard to find Tinder profiles when you are not on Tinder. So if you are... I would really appreciate you sending us some. Yeah, hey, yeah. Look for some, next time you're on Tinder feeling depressed, <laughs> look for the worst bio you can possibly find, screenshot it, and send it to us, and we will read it and make fun of it. We'll make light of it. Yeah, well, we, there we go. we'll make light of it. Even if you don't think it's bad, like, you don't have to send us just bad profiles. If you think it's funny. Well, don't send us a good one, because then what? Yeah, well, I don't want a good one. But I'll send- just be charmed, like, oh, he sounds nice. <laughs> Send me funny ones. What's the word I'm looking for? A parody, even. Like, those yeah, are fine. Yeah, stuff that are self-aware. Maybe yeah. even if you want us to grade your own bio. Oh, that's a fun twist. Yeah. yeah. If you want us to grade your bio or if you want us to give you some advice because we're not on Tinder anymore. Right. For and a reason. And we did so well. 
We did so well. So much success. We will bestow that knowledge on you. We won't include your name if you don't want us to. If you do, we will. If you do, uh, we fucking will. And your age. And your location. Ooh, so if there's any other singles out there, we'll matchmate. They're going to find you. So here we go. I'll jump into it. Would you mind if I spread Nutella on her butt and ate it? This one in particular will be from the interwebs. Her name is, what's like a wholesome whorey name? Hold on. A wholesome whore? Yeah. Like a freak, but only for you. <laughs> is that a whore? I think you're thinking of slut. Uh, give me give me a, a whorey rave girl. Because whores are like, that's a heavy word, right? I think there's slut can be playful. Whore cannot be playful. Okay, give me give me like a a slutty ooh, kind of like gardener girl name. What the fuck? <laughs> Mother nature. I understand. Uh, chartreuse. Like Miranda. Okay, then why did you even ask? Chartreuse. Mar- you gave Mar- me chartreuse. <laughs> I know that's like a vampire woman from like the 1700s. Maybe Mary. No. Mary could be slutty. Well, we'll go with Miranda. This okay. is the name I am going with. Okay, good. Miranda is in her early 20s, and her bio says, you know who else likes food and traveling? Everyone. Okay. <laughs> this is an example of the uh, self-aware ones. Yeah. That is funny, though, because literally uh, everybody No, seriously, says- that's one of the most disheartening things to see in a bio. Something that basic, mm-hmm. that vague. Because then, what's your point? Why even? Why even write a bio if it's just like, right? What's your goal here, man? I hate traveling. That's original. That's interesting. That's why I'm intrigued. Right. For what purpose? I hate travel. I've never eaten food. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if I've done this before, but we'll go for it. I'm gonna call this guy Greg. All right. Greg, I don't know what his age is because I didn't get it in the screenshot. Greg is eight years old. But Greg, I'm going to assume, is in his 40s. That's the vibe I get from this. Okay. So Greg says, accepting girlfriend applications. Oh, God. Swipe left if you believe in astrology. I'm a natural redhead. Growing my beard out my beard. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. On vacation, gym enthusiast, car owner, the manly type of guy who eats large amounts of meat, chops wood bare hand, and shots guns with oh. a compassionate side. <laughs> Blue moon, Belgian, white beer, veteran, INTJ. So he's not into astrology, but he's into personality tests. Yeah, that's interesting because <laughs> yeah. that is a very fine line. Right. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. You are a veteran. Uh, <laughs> second of all, that's pretty cool that he shots guns. He does shots guns. That's pretty cool. That's very manly. And he that's... also chops wood barehand. <laughs> That's exciting. So this guy could really do. A, this guy could do a lot. What an exciting man this guy is! What an exciting life he leads. <laughs> <laughs> Chop wood, bare hand. Oh uh, man! I hate astrology, but I am an IFTJ. <laughs> yeah, I think it's always tough for like a guy to be like I'm into astrology because for some reason that's very feminine and you know this guy's very masculine because his beard's grown out of his beard so that's double the beard You're right he's growing out his beard out of his beard yeah looks like somebody shots one too many guns that was a good one I liked I liked uh, Greg uh, he's a Greg for sure I think that's a Greg yeah Craig maybe ooh Craig ooh. Craig's a tough one Craig yeah. if your name's Craig I don't mean that as an insult to you I mean that as an insult to this Craig man. is an enigma of a name is how I take Craig. Because it's kind of sharp. It sounds like a cracked egg. 
a Craig. Craig could be either nerdy or it could be douchey. Or it could or be it cool. Could, or it could be cool. You have to say cool because Craig's listening right now. Well, it could be. There could be a cool Craig where Jeremy is just like a, I'm Jeremy. <laughs> I know what I'm Jeremy. I don't know what Kaylee is. Kaylee's like, I'm Kaylee. Yeah, Kaylee's. definitely. There's so many Kayleys. Kayleys bleach their assholes, probably. Yeah. Right? I get Brazilians every week. I don't really identify as a Kaylee. I identify you as a birch tree. Usually people's names tend to fit them really well, or over time they tend to fit them. Do you ever do you ever think about that, though? Like how weird names can be? I think it's cruel that we have no control over our names. Yeah, you, you become what your name is, I feel like. Isn't that sick? I agree 100%. Like, it's but, not sick, but it's upsetting existentially. But it's also weird, too, because some celebrities, or just people in general, like their names do not fit them at all. But their names are so recognizable that you don't think about it. Like Brad Pitt. Like, no, he looks like a Brad no, Pitt. No, he looks like, but Ed Sheeran, right? Ed Sheeran. Ed. His, Ed. his name is Ed. I'm Ed. <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do that, man. Isn't that weird? Like, Ed Sheeran is Ed. But Ed Sheeran together doesn't sound Ed bad. Sheer- yeah, that's the thing about celebrities is they have one name and it's their first and last name. Except Beyonce. Right. She's just Beyonce. She's and Elvis. Beyonce. He was just Elvis. Yeah, but those names fit well. Also Elvis. 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 That's the worst name I've ever heard in my life. If you didn't think it was that cool guy from rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Elvis. El- like an elf. Oh, hi, I'm Elvis. Hi, I'm Elvis. <laughs> oh my God, is the king across me right now? Hi, I'm Elvis. <laughs> hey, Elvis. It's so nice to meet you. What are you doing here? Elvis is a cool name. It's a cool name for a wizard. Yeah. Elvis. But like your dad is definitely a Randy. For sure. Your mom is definitely a Deborah. I would agree. But I don't feel like I'm a Kaylee at all. I don't I don't I don't resonate with that name. I think I can still see you as a Kaylee because I met you as Kaylee. Right. And so I'm just like, well that is Kaylee. So that's the frame I'm working with. Send me an email, tweet me, Instagram me, whatever. Tell me what you think my name is or should be. Based off of what you hear on the podcast, do I seem like a Kaylee to you? What name do I seem like? Am I also yeah. a Miranda? <laughs> yeah, what wholesome whore name does she get? What slutty, what slutty, what slutty wholesome, na- what slutty gardener, gardener, what was it? gardener girl Jesus. do I get? Well, so in improv class, you go by the name Mo. I do. That's kind of my nickname. Which is cool. I like Mo. It's a fun name, I think. Yeah, because it's kind of quirky and it's, and it's different. It's been out of circulation for a while as a name. You don't see any guys named Mo, let alone women named Mo. It's just a shortened version of my last name. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mo is a shortened version of her last name. But I don't know. I, I like that. Which is Momo. When I, you know, when I tell people Mo, like as a nickname, they tend to like perk up about it and they like to say it a lot. Like, hey, Mo. 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 And it's like. Wow, that's me. That's fun. I like that. Yeah, I think you got something going there for sure. Mo's a cool name for you, but it'd also be a cool name for a dog. Yeah. And like that's that's interesting. I like that. <laughs> Not to compare you to a dog. I like but... human names for dogs. Maybe I'll start going by Mo on the podcast. Maybe I'll switch it up. I was wondering if you're going to do that. Why not? It'll be fun. Because Mo is like way easier to say. It is way. Well, easy. not really. It's just one less syllable. But Kaylee and Jeremy or Mo and Jeremy. Mo and Jeremy sounds. Mo and Jeremy just sounded way better to say right there. Yeah, Mo, Mo and, and Jeremy. Jeremy. Hey, everybody, it's Mo and Jeremy. Hey, everybody, it's Kaylee and Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Clunky and gross. Uh, it's like put on an itchy sweater. From here on out, you can call me Mo. Okay, guys, did you guys pick that up? She's changing her name now. I will never reference it again, so if you do not listen to this episode, you will be so confused, and you deserve it. Yeah, you're going to think it's, it's like, oh, this is Kaylee's sister Mo is here, and she's her twin sister, so she has the same. Do twins have the same vocal cords? Yes, they have the same everything. It depends. Are you fraternal or identical? 
identical, but you belong to the same fraternity. <laughs> Fraternal? No. Identical? Yes. So we talked for a while, so now we're going to jump into our main segment, which is w- what you guys are maybe, I don't know, here for. <laughs> what are what are any of us here for? I haven't figured that the out yet. Tree uh, the tree talk. Tree talk with Mo and Jeremy. <laughs> I, I like Mo and Jeremy. Mo, like that's so... Yeah, that's if it's smooth. Mo, Mo and Jeremy. So it goes so much smoother. So this week was my week to choose a topic. This week was her week with the children. Yeah. This was her custody week. This is my custody week, uh, and I reined it in, and I chose Crossroads Demons because I wanted to, so suck on that. Crossroads represent a location that is between the worlds. Yes. It can be a place where two realms touch, and it represents a neither here nor there, betwixt and between. Crossroads Demons deal with the idea of an entity that you can meet at a specific place, that place between our world and the spirit world. It's a site where supernatural spirits can be contacted and paranormal events can take place. So are there hubs across this emerald floating in space that we call Mother Gaia? Interesting. Where there's more paranormal activity. I'm going to touch on that specifically in what is called Thin Places. Let's cross over to the other side. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? That veil between this world and something else is thin. What was your bargain? To get where I am now. What happened in those places? Who knows? Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Let's jump into this. Thin places. Nope, I'm not talking about the Weight Watchers headquarters. (laughs) That was a bad one. Like it. Uh, a thin place, very similar definition to what you were talking about with crossroads. A thin place is a sacred site where that veil between realities is extra thin. Like you said, betwixt and between or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right where they kiss. Right. This when, is the ghost. When they're rubbing up yep. against each other. Yep. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Touching tips. The actual term a thin place is derived from Celtic mythology and folklore. The Celtic people were an ancient people from Europe. Mm-hmm. They had this idea of thin places. It is a portal of sorts. That allows for forces from either side to interact. Many thin places came to be places of worship. So an example would be, I found this place in, I didn't find it on foot. I found it on the computer. (laughs) Uh, The glacial valley of Glendalo. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. It's probably like Glendaloch. Where is that at? uh, Located in County Wicklow, Ireland. It's the site of a medieval monastery. Travelers remark on the peculiar sense of intense oneness or clarity that they perceive there. And this is typically, from what I found, in a, in a more spiritual, religious sense. But that's a quality that belongs to almost all thin places. Is there's a vibe. There's a... Mm-hmm. Energy. There's an energy there. Not to sound too new age, but yeah. Spiritual forces are felt more heavily. Mm-hmm. There is a Celtic saying that goes, Heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in thin places that distance is even shorter. I don't understand why it's three feet. I couldn't <laughs> find out why. They just said it that way. So let's uh, let's jump in the old time machine and look back at these Celtic people and learn a little bit more about thin places and ghosts and spirits and things called the Fae. I breathe. 
briefly talked about the Fae and its ties to Ireland, I think, in the Black Eyed Children bit that we did with Hillbilly Horror Stories. Yeah, which is how a lot of you guys found us. So you probably heard that. If you didn't, go check out Hillbilly Horror Stories. We did an episode with them, I think, last summer. It's a great show, and they helped us out a lot. So we love those guys. The Celtic people, or the Celts, as I will call them, because that makes it sound like I'm more familiar with them than I am. (laughs) The Celts likely migrated to places like Ireland, Scotland, Wales, etc. from Central Europe around 500 B.C. Wow. Try to put your brain way back then. The following stuff is going to be talking about Celtic rituals and history in Ireland. Okay. So in the Irish region of the fucking place in the ocean. <laughs> uh, so the island. Ireland. The island. The Ireland. Hey, Ireland is probably Ireland because it's an. They were trying to say island. Ah. That's not true. Nah. Don't write that down, kids. That will not be on the test. The Celts and Ireland, as we now know it, were influenced by unknown occupants of prehistoric Ireland. That would be uh, not the Celts. That would be the people that were before the Celts. And we don't know who they are. Black-eyed children. Black-eyed children, exactly. And then they grew up to become Irish. Sounds accurate. (laughs) Uh, So historians have little to go on about these prehistoric settlers besides the burial mounds and stone structures that they left behind. Which I think makes it spookier because you're like, we don't know what they did every day. Maybe they talked to magical trolls. Right. Do you know what a dolmen is? Uh, sounds familiar. I don't know what it is, though. Okay. A dolmen is a single chamber megalithic. T- a lot of words come at you right now. A single chamber megalithic tomb commonly made of two or more vertical megaliths. A megalith is just a large stone structure. It's a single chamber megalithic tomb commonly made up of two or more vertical megaliths supporting a large flat horizontal capstone. So picture what Stonehenge is. Yeah. It's like a stone table. Just a bunch of rocks. Big old weird stone table. Yeah. And it's like, where'd that come from? It's a tomb made out of big stones Mm. leaned against other stones. It's like dominoes you you can't push over. Yeah. You could, but you shouldn't because people would be upset. Yeah. Because I think it's like a global heritage site. So some dolmens found in Ireland date back to the Neolithic era, which is 4,000 to 3,000 BC. Mm. That's like very old. (laughs) Um, So dolmens can be dated using radiocarbon dating. And the oldest known one is in northern France, built roughly 7,000 years ago. Shit, that's pretty cool. Right? Isn't that wild? No one really knows how exactly these were built because those stones were super heavy. And I guess they could have used wagons. (laughs) Okay. By the time the Celts arrived in Ireland, these monuments were perceived as being sort of mystical structures built by the gods they believed ruled the land, perhaps. These guys were a bunch of dummies. It is likely. It could be God. I like that you're being open-minded about that. You heard it here, folks. It could be God. (laughs) (laughs) So let me take you over to this thing called Nougrange. What's that ZZ Top song? Lagrange? L.A. Grange. It's like that, but it's new instead of Lagrange. So it's uh, New Grange, but it's probably just New Grange. It is around 30 miles northwest of Dublin. Okay. So New Grange is considered to be a thin place. It is what is considered a passage tomb or a burial mound containing megaliths and stone slabs that form a passage into said mound. So picture this big old dome covered in grass that's mm-hmm. like naturally made. And then inside, it's like propped up with... Giant stone slabs. Yes, exactly. And it kind of makes a hallway. I believe these slabs break off and they make these little chambers where they would bury bodies. Okay. And so you'd go in there and observe 
I guess, dead stuff. You just kind of sit there and waft in the decaying Just a tomb in the ground, basically. A tomb above ground, really. Technically, you're underground, but it's an earth mound. Yeah, earth mound for bodies. Yes. The mound is 259 feet in diameter and 43 feet high, covering an area of about one acre. Wow. Inside, there are three alcoves. Newgrange was built in such a way that during the winter solstice, the passage and alcoves are aligned with the morning sun. I saw a picture of it. It's like lit perfectly, and it shines through this little thing called a roof box. Okay. Picture like the door to the mound. There's a little, like, little roof box above the door. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it's like indoor lighting. Interesting. It's very beautiful and like bizarre. They were onto something. These mysterious dudes and dudettes building this stuff. Right. Aliens. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or God. (laughs) Um, Newgrange is about 5,200 years old, making it older than Stonehenge and the Great Pyramids of Giza. Huh. Yeah. When you think about this being as old as it is, it's kind of spooky. Spooky. (laughs) Archaeologists and historians have reason to believe that this was a place of worship, gathering, and it held astrological importance to its builders. Um, And it was likely the site of cultic rituals. Many Neolithic monuments had similar relevance. Many are considered thin places. Yeah, I could see that. So we're talking about crazy astrological pagan stuff. These thin places, they go here and they can talk to the dead and they can probably kill an animal there (laughs) but this is back when that was okay to do Um, the celts believed these monuments were portals to the native gods worlds remember these native gods they're afraid of because they made the big stone dominoes yeah in some cases it was believed that getting too close was bad luck or would lead to trouble Interesting. Yeah. That's their home. You don't intrude right. on their home. It's like if you make a really elaborate sandcastle at the beach and you see this wobbly three-year-old walking towards it, you're like, hey, get the, hey no. Get away. Go, go, go. Go. If it gets too close, you're going to have to push him over. Mm-hmm. His Sorry. mom's there. She could have stopped him. She should be watching your kid. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I digress. The The Celts have a negative savage image. When you think of the Celts, you got to think of like druids. Yeah. Which are uh, cool. Very nature. <laughs> very nature-based. Very pagany. Yeah. But their faith, which is druidry, nowadays is looked on as kind of savage because I think we talked about it in our fortune telling episode, Pyromancy, and how the druids mm. used to build the wicker man yeah. and burn people inside of it. Yeah. So, very wholesome. Yeah. Very wholesome. Nice little bonfire. So the Celts were like that. And so they have kind of a reputation because of that. But in reality, they were pretty sophisticated. Burning a bunch of people alive aside... They were pretty sophisticated. They had notable accomplishments in metalworks. They made some of the first iron longswords and jewelry. Uh, Cyclical agriculture was their thing. Road building. Because remember, Celts also existed in in mainland Europe. Much of the famous Roman roads were often expanded and improved versions laid over top of pre-existing Celtic road system. Interesting. So the Romans... Are copycats. They traced. (laughs) The Romans traced. That's not fair. You're right. Um, So Celtic religion was generally a kind of earth and sun worship known as Druidism. And a a Druid is the name of a priest of said religion. Which is really popular in like RPG fantasy type universes. You've probably heard the term Druid before. And they are those type of characters. They tend to be friends with animals and restorative type magical powers. Yeah, a druid was an amalgamation of a priest, a lawgiver, an astrologer, and there was even proof that there was female druids, too, which is unusual. How progressive. How progressive. People that burned people alive. (laughs) Um, How 
were they going to know better? Yeah. So their faith, obviously, Druidry, it's polytheistic, and they had over 400 deities. A hmm. big part of it was vegetation and fertility gods, and they were often seen as, you know this, liminal deities and operated cyclically. So there's different gods that would come around for summer, fall, winter, spring. So there's always a departure and return. And what uh, liminal deities are is these figures in religion or folklore where they can pass from the God's world to the human's world, essentially. They go both ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, summer's here. Okay. He's going to walk into our <laughs> world. And when he leaves, oh, now winter's here because mm. summer left. Right. It's a very basic way of explaining that. But this evolved over time into the faith or the fey folk. Mm. Ultimately, that gets turned into fairies. Mm-hmm. Fairies is derived from the term fey. So the fey are a type of mythical creature found in European folklore, Celtic, Slavic, English, French, yada, 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 that are supernatural, metaphysical, stuff of that nature. They have no definite origin. In some faiths, they sort of are translated to low-level angels and demons. Right, they're their own thing. Right, and uh, sometimes they're considered the spirits of the dead or even an otherworldly predecessor to mankind. So maybe the fae were the first. Right. I think a lot of them, too, are like spirits of nature is like an idea. Yeah, like essence. The essence of like forests and the essence of animals are the fae. Yeah, they sort of symbolize nature and cyclical nature and seasons passing. In some cases, the Celts welcomed these liminal figures with rituals, or conversely, they would attempt to ward them off. Yeah. So they come and go, and they, but they always come back, and either you're happy to see them. Like, we love when, in Michigan when summer's here, mm-hmm. but we hate when winter's here. So, like, if they're whatever the winter fay is, like, don't let them in, you know? Right, Block we don't door. want it. Block the door. Uh, put a chair against the veil. <laughs> um, so... Fairies are commonly portrayed as intentionally interfering with human affairs, for better or for worse. Have you ever heard of like a changeling? No. Very creepy and kind of tragic. There's this belief back then that the fae would kidnap newborns and then in return they would replace them with a clone of that baby. Okay. And so babies that were kind of like odd or strange acting babies born with a form of autism. Okay. They misinterpret that as this isn't right. My baby's they normal. Switch it out, yeah. Someone switched this baby. This isn't this is a fae. But also they think an explanation for this, too, could be postpartum depression. They'd say, well, the mother feels this way because a fae took her baby. That's not mm. her actual baby. We should go, like, drown this baby because it's a fae baby. Right. So you get you get into mucky territory there. Right. So fae, it's a very complicated thing. It's kind of like most spiritual things. Like, don't fuck with it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, if you'll fuck with it, they're going to fuck with you back. Give your dues, do your sacrifices, do whatever, pay your penance. Pay and your taxes. They'll leave you alone. They're yeah. satisfied with that. But if yep. you if you fuck with them, they'll fuck with you back. Yeah. Like most spiritual type things. Like most governments. <laughs> um, so in Celtic and Irish mythology, the Fae were liminal spirits who would, at worst, attempt to trick and kidnap humans, taking them into the other world and uh, doing whatever, you know, doing that switcheroo with the changeling. Celtics thought the Fae to be reachable at physical thin places and spatial thin places. So the idea of a spatial thin place, for example, the night of a full moon or during certain ceremonies like Samhain, the pagan Halloween, what turned into Halloween. Oh, okay. You've probably seen it written somewhere. It's spelled like Samhain, okay. but it's pronounced Samhain or Sowen. So like that would be like a spatial thin place. So probably tied to like astrology. This certain time of the year, the ghosts and ghouls come out to play right that's, oh, when, that's, that's when right so it isn't always just oh go to this one valley it's really spooky and weird and that's a thin place it could also be uh oh it's that time of year again 
Right. Uh, everything's a thin place because they want to come out and run amok. Mm-hmm. So there's these festivals, and this is when you'd get spatial thin places. Celts performed four religious festivals annually, each corresponding with a season and moon phase. The four festivals, by the way, being weird names. <laughs> Imbolc, which is the start of spring. Beltane, which is the start of summer. Lugnaza, <laughs> lasagna. <laughs> uh, that's the start of fall or the harvest season. And then finally, the most significant was Samhain, which was celebrated halfway between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. A lot of sources I found said that the point of it is summer's over. Now it's fall and then it's going to be winter. Mm-hmm. I got this really old folklore dictionary I found at the library. I'm talking like 1800s. Oh, okay. And uh, they described it as literally meaning summer's end. But that might not be like a literal translation. I found a few sources that were like, no, it's the common misconception. But okay. either way, during Samhain, the people of the other world, like the Fae and all those ghouls, would cross over and they would bring with them eventually the first frost. Mm-hmm. And on this night, your odds were like, you know, quadrupled of coming into contact with spirits of dead loved ones and Fae. So the festival consisted of a ceremonial bonfire, livestock sacrifice, and feasting. Offerings were left outside of settlements to appease the Fae so they would not be harmed by them, and it was believed that ancestors would use this time to cross over from the other world to visit the living, sort of like the uh, Mexican Day of the Dead. Like, that's a specific oh, spatial thin place, right. sort of, yeah. where at that time of the year you can talk to visit past your, relatives. Visit your dead relatives. With an influx of visiting Fae, it is believed that Celts would carry weapons or even salt to ward them off. <laughs> and they would even dress in costumes, like as an animal or a monster, to keep the Fae from kidnapping them or harming them, to scare them, which oh. is potentially where we get the idea of dressing Halloween. up in costumes in Halloween. Right. The pagan ties to Halloween, you will see, like I remember growing up uh, in my school, there was somebody, and there's nothing wrong with this, no offense to anybody who's super Catholic, but there was a really Catholic family that was not about Halloween. Mm-hmm. They, their kids weren't allowed to go to school that day. They didn't dress up because it was pagan and had these ties to like a very unchristian Right. Uh, faith. But yeah, so there's a connection there. Over time and into the Middle Ages, Samhain and other fire festivals were kind of scaled down and changed with the times. Individual farms now, instead of whole villages, individual farms would burn their own bonfires to ward off fairies and witches. They would carve turnips, or what they called jack-o'-lanterns, and fashion them to sticks by strings and embedded them with coal. And later on, Irish tradition switched to pumpkins. All this sort of slowly evolved into what we know now as Halloween. Interesting. Yeah. You see thin places all across the world. They're not always called thin places. Many cultures and religions throughout history, uh, just these places that act as portals to the spirit world. Thin places sound a lot like hot spots along the Earth's electromagnetic grid. We talked about this before, I think, called ley lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't talk about it, but I wanted to. Okay. Well, that doesn't help you guys at all. We just know that that's something we might talk about. An example of this is the spiritual vortexes in like Sedona, Arizona where people go out to the Red Rock canyons and stuff, Mm -hmm. where you get your chakras and stuff realigned. Okay. That's out of my realm of understanding. understanding. Yeah. But so it has that similar quality of thin places where people go there and they say, there's just something different about this place. Even people that aren't there to go get their spiritual tires rotated, (laughs) they just go there as tourists to see the Red Rock deserts and and stuff. They will say, like, it's electric. There's something here that makes you feel good. That's interesting. I would yeah. like to go there. Very strange. I wonder what that is. Well, obviously, it's a thin place. Obviously, Ooh. you could go there and talk to ghosts. Ah. Let's not be uh, ridiculous. Ghost energy. Ghost energy. That's the most energy. 
like think of like a haunted place. Isn't a haunted place sort of like a thin place? If you go to a haunted house, it's a place where you can contact, allegedly, <laughs> contact like right. spirits. Could it be that thin places are created over time, psychologically or metaphysically, whatever? Could a place garner those attributes of a thin place through the years of human habitation? What if haunted houses aren't haunted because the ghosts went through something really traumatic, but because that place in general is thin and they get caught up in it? Kind of like, like a web. Like a net. Yeah. Oh. You know, like I don't they, like that at all. They can't fully cross over because they get stuck in the thin place. Ah, that's so interesting. That's why you get some houses that have a Are lot new. of ghosts right. and some that have absolutely none. Or maybe and sometimes they're like new houses and there's no explanation for it. Right. Know? And there there's just like maybe one ghost because the veil isn't as thin as maybe some other ones. Yeah. And maybe as more spirits or more ghosts inhabit one thin place, the the thinner it gets, the more that can go through. Ooh, spooky. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there's certain areas that just, maybe they're not considered thin places. Even, like, small towns, once in a while, you'll, they'll have, like, local legends where it's like, oh, that river or that forest. Mm-hmm. Oh, we hear things out there. There's something weird about that. Yeah. Or just places where you have paranormal phenomena. It definitely does seem localized. A lot of it can be psychological, but I think some places do have like a different feel or a different energy to them. Right. Well, we were talking earlier about like trees and stuff. Like trees have this whole thing going on that we're not aware of. Right. The trees are watching you. Oh my God, it's the trees the whole time. (laughs) They're making the air stinky. Ah. But So I thought I'd cap off just right here with this one quote I heard from, uh, I heard, I read in uh, a New York Times article about thin places by this writer, Eric Weiner. Uh, He says, quote, Maybe thin places offer glimpses not of heaven, but of earth as it really is, unencumbered, unmasked. Yeah, I like that. Because I feel like thin places tend to be very organic places. Places with history. Yeah. You know? well, a haunted house isn't because, oh, the bricks are haunted. It's <laughs> like, oh, because stuff happened there. Right. Because life happened there. Yeah, definitely. Tragic or otherwise. I like that. And also, it could be just like a forest, a forest in Ireland where it's like, oh, that's scary there. That's a thin place. I would love to go to Ireland. Yeah, feel out I would these know too. thin veils for myself. Yeah, I'll get back to you guys on that. Donate money <laughs> to me, and I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> go fund me to find them ghosts. Yeah, so I guess I'll jump into my segment then, which is more focused on crossroads and the spirits and demons associated with crossroads. Yeah, because we're talking about thin places. What if there was a place that was like a thin place, but with roads? <laughs> Isn't that cool? Wow, that's it. So I'll kind of repeat what I said earlier. Crossroads represent a location between the worlds other than the literal physical crossroads, which does apply to this. But a crossroads doesn't have to literally be a crossroads either. Mm -hmm. It's a place where supernatural spirits can be contacted and paranormal events tend to take place when you reach the crossroads, which maybe you didn't know about it before, but I feel like that sentence itself kind of sparks like a... You know, I'm like, at a crossroads. I'm at a crossroads. There's something very symbolic. And I think a lot of this is de- derived from very archaic symbolism. Yeah. You know what I mean? This idea. Because crossroads, when you think about a crossroad, it's always on the outskirts of town. It's where you can start getting lost. The neither here nor there. Yeah, right. That symbolism, I feel like, goes so far back. But because it is so archaic, it does get incorporated in mythology in a lot of different areas in the world, which I think was really interesting. So I just want to jump into 
a few different examples of how crossroads play in religion or just like belief systems throughout time. The more recent one, I guess you would say, is hoodoo or voodoo. So we talked about voodoo quite a bit in one of our previous episodes. So I won't go super, super in-depth, but I will kind of go over basics and how it ties into crossroads. So voodoo is associated with Haitian or African-American spirituality. Mm -hmm. Voodoo derives from voodoo and it's syncretic. So it's two phase intertwined. It's the voodoo and it's also Catholicism because the African slave trade, when when slaves were brought over here, Mm -hmm. they had their original faith and then the slave owners were like, no, you should be converted. You should practice our faith. So they pretended to be Catholics, essentially, and secretly worshipped Voodoo. And over time, that got mixed. So qualities of Catholicism spilled over to Voodoo and became Voodoo. And so they have their own gods, but also their gods are the same as Catholic saints. Yeah, a lot of symbolism. So Loa are the spirits associated with voodoo. They rest between the supreme creator and humanity. So they exist in the space in between. Oh, are they liminal? They are liminal, yeah. Whoa, hey guys, connections here. I thought that was really interesting. And one Loa you might be familiar with is Papa Legba, which has been in pop culture a little bit. So you might have seen that before. He essentially is the intermediary between the Loas and humanity and voodoo. He's the lawyer. He's your lawyer. Right. So he channels that communication between the two he's like the mouthpiece sort of his associated saint is saint peter because they're both gatekeepers Saint peter yeah because they're gatekeepers so he and saint peter are crossroad spirits as far as voodoo goes there's the idea that to acquire body skills like playing an instrument dancing something that's very physical one can go to papa legba at the crossroads and you'll go at midnight or just before dawn and you'll meet a black man as it's commonly called or someone who resembles the devil who will give you these skills is he a black man or a black man not black as an african-american he's black the color okay there's a lot of different interpretations of what the ritual is or how it's supposed to go or really who the man is the black man isn't satan himself or a devil the black man is its own entity altogether the difference between the black man and like your traditional demon packs is mostly that the black man does not bestow prosperity. The more common belief like making a deal with the devil is you can get like wealth or power. And that's not so much in like voodoo. The black man at the crossroads will only teach and give skills or knowledge onto the person making the wish. Okay. Something that you can use as a tool to make money or whatever. Right. And the belief that you have to basically trade your soul to the black man is also not correct. The deal with the devil, you trade your soul for something. Yeah. The black man, again, isn't like the Satan or the devil figure. So you don't trade your soul in this exchange. But in return, he requires seven years of service in return for like the skill or knowledge he gives. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main difference between voodoo and more... Yeah, like well-known belief, I guess. Pop culture, kind of, yeah. Pop culture, yeah. Papa Legba. <laughs> <laughs> the appearance of the black man at the crossroads can change a little bit because he tends to be like a shapeshifter. 
So you're supposed to go on, I think it's like seven, seven or nine nights in a row, you're supposed to go to the crossroads. Okay. Depending on the ritual, the black man may appear in different forms each evening, usually through black colored animals like cats, dogs, snakes, and roosters. Other birds are common as well. And most rituals will invoke a meeting with him by traveling to the crossroads on consecutive nights. So on the last night, the black man will appear in human form. There is one story I read where the black man will change into different forms to scare you so that you won't come back the next night. So every night it's- test you. Right. It's trying different forms to test you. And then the last night, if you're still there, he'll appear to you as a human and you can make the deal of whatever you want. And then you'll have to repay by doing seven years of service. Imagine all that and like the request is like, I want Heelys. <laughs> I try to scare you for seven days and you want fucking Heelys? Right. So this one I thought was interesting. For the black man, when you're meeting him, you're supposed to bring an object that symbolizes the skill you want to get out of the exchange. Mm-hmm. So for a guitar, that's like a popular one associated with Crossroads, which I'll explain a little bit later. It's said that you must clip your nails until they bleed. Gross. Prior to going to meet the black man. The black man will watch for a while and then ask for the item. With the guitar, the black man might tune it and give it back to the individual. And from that day on, the person will be blessed with skill for the guitar. That's cool. Yeah, it's not like signing in blood or killing animals or babies. A lot of this, too, for some of them, they say crossroads. And for some of them, they say graveyards. Yeah. They tend to be interchangeable, I feel like. Because graveyards are kind of thin places. Yeah. So in the United Kingdom, there was a tradition of burying people at crossroads if they were criminals or committed suicide. Hmm. They speculate that it might have been from crossroads marking the boundaries of a settlement, coupled with a desire to bury those outside of the law, outside of the settlement. Because you can't bury them on consecrated ground, probably, right? right? They're like, well, we can't put them in town, so we have to put them on the outskirts of town at the crossroads. People are so weird. Or the other idea, which I thought was more interesting, was that the many roads would confuse the dead. And so they would get lost and not find their way back to haunt people. No, thank you. Yeah. That's why like graveyards tend to be kind of interchangeable with crossroads because the graveyards tended to be at the crossroads. Farther away from town. Yeah, far away from town, at the crossroads, on the outskirts of town. Yeah. So as far as Greek mythology goes, There are two in particular that are more associated with the crossroads and traveling, and that's Hermes and Hecate. So Hermes is associated with travelers and as a guide, basically, is what Hermes is. Oh, Hermes is like the OG Amazon. Yeah, literally. Hey, here's this thing from the gods. Here you go. I got a message for you. Check yes or no. Do you like me? (laughs) and he's boring so we're gonna forget about that but hecate is actually really interesting and i would like to do like a mini-sode on her actually because she has a ton of history and just shit about her because she was super popular and she was what she was a god yeah she was a a goddess and she was really really popular which is weird because i've never heard of her before but she still has like a cult which is interesting but she's shown holding a pair of torches or a key and she's associated with crossroads light magic witchcraft ghosts necromancy and sorcery okay so she's cool she's cool she's like super cool she's like we might belong to her cult i'm not sure <laughs> but she was originally associated with crossroads and that slowly transformed over time to being witchcraft and like sorcery and necromancy 
she would take people between life and death because that's like a gateway. Oh, yeah. But she usually is seen as the one guiding people from the living to the dead. And one of her most common titles was the goddess of the crossroads. So usually, if you wanted to pay tribute to Hecate, you would leave tributes for her at crossroads at each new moon to protect from spirits and, like, evil. This is not really related to her, but kind of related, but I wanted to throw it out there because I thought it was really interesting. Okay, yeah. Lucifer originates from the Latin meaning shining one, light bearer, or dawn bringer. It represents Venus rising pre-dawn and is the gatekeeper between night and day, which I think is so cool. Because there's a connection there with liminal spirits, crossroads, devils at the crossroads. Lucifer is like bringing day or bringing nighttime. It's the in-between. It's the dawn bringer. It's the gatekeeper between day and night. Right. Which is really, really interesting, I thought. Like, what are the odds that all these different cultures from different places all had very similar ideas? Right. This is like a dumb connection, but like Papa Legba, his gift is like speech and being able to communicate and stuff. Right. I think of Silver Tongue Devil. Definitely. And Papa Legba is like really ugly and crooked. And that's how the devil is portrayed a lot, right? Ooh, that's interesting. I like that. There's something there. Yeah, so because Hecate is a liminal deity and she's seen between worlds, she's also associated with the underworld or being like an underworld goddess. She's a lot like the female version of, what's his name? Fiery hair dude. Guy Fieri? <laughs> uh, Hades, Hades. Hades, yeah. I'll leave it at that because she has like so much history and it's really interesting. Okay, okay. Well, we can cover her on a mini episode. Yeah. A mini-sode. So to bring it into more modern times, think like the 1900s, the mm-hmm. blues were becoming extremely popular, especially in the South, New Orleans, Louisiana, like all of mm-hmm. that area. The Delta region. So in blues songs during that time, it was really popular to reference the crossroads. Blues and jazz and stuff, especially at that time. There was a lot of black musicians coming up at that time in that scene. Mm-hmm. And African-American culture was has deep ties to voodoo and hoodoo. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why. Yeah. There was just a big wave of this idea of crossroads demons and blues music. It's pretty cool. It's become a staple. And even if you've played Guitar Hero, you have to beat the devil at guitar. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. It was, oh, wow. Like, it's a, it's a common idea. Deeply ingrained in our culture. Yeah, and it comes from a lot of blues, a lot of blues yeah, music and rock right. music. And this idea of selling your soul to the devil to become, like, a good musician came from a man called Robert Johnson. He was an American blues singer, songwriter, and musician. He's known as the master of blues. He kind of made it what yeah. it is and what it became So the legend goes, a young man living on a plantation in rural Mississippi had a great desire to become a great blues musician. He was told to take his guitar to a crossroad near Dockery Plantation at midnight. There he met a large black man who took the guitar and tuned it, giving him mastery of the instrument. So the reason people tend to believe this story, his brother actually is the one that spread the tale around after he had died. Okay, was it for money? I don't know that it was for money. Just for fun. Because it seems weird to bash your brother's image like that because the devil was regarded so It was a negative, it was a negative yeah. thing by that point, yeah. It seems weird that his brother would do that after his death for... Maybe just to make him like a legend. Maybe. Like, yeah, my brother was supernatural. But also to have your brother die and be like, oh, yeah, he uh, gave his soul to the devil? Yeah, if you oh, see okay. a picture of him, though, there's like a popular... I'm familiar with his music, actually. Yeah, if you see a picture of him, there's like a popular image. He actually 
he looks scary. Hey, he does look scary. He's, He's a, a very scary thin, looking guy. Very thin young black man and he died very young. He it died extremely young. And he had a very slow death. It took him like several days to die. It was either some sort of poisoning, bad whiskey. The, the way he died seemed very curse-like, very mm-hmm. easily to spin into like an urban legend. Yeah. It's hard to separate him from the myth. Mm-hmm. But it's very it's a very creepy story because he started out such a bad guitar player that they actually had to ask him to like not play around. You're stealing around my the, segment. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were ending the story. So in Robin, cut it out. It was 19. 19- I just knew. That I just. I already- <laughs> <laughs> it was 1930 in Robinsonville, Mississippi, and 19-year-old Robert Johnson, an aspiring blues musician, was hanging out at a juke joint where Delta Blues legends Sunhouse, 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 and Willie Brown were playing a packed house. Between sets, Johnson decided to pick up one of the musician's guitars and play his own music. Rude. Yeah, which is really ballsy. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd hated it. They, they, they absolutely despised it. And he had a moment of confidence. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Robert. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, there's actually hate you. a quote from Sunhouse that said, he started to play it and be just noising the people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, like, hilarious. He was just like, so, you were just noise fucking making noise. Get the yeah. hell out of here. <laughs> Horrific. <laughs> and said, why don't some of y'all go down and make that boy put that thing down? He running <laughs> us crazy. So the club owners tossed Johnson out of the uh, joint, and that was the last anybody heard of him for a full year. He simply just disappeared. His heroes said, you suck. <laughs> right. <laughs> you You're disappears. garbage. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. You're just making some noise. Laughing stock. So one night, about a year after, while House and Brown were playing another gig in Mississippi, Johnson walks in with a guitar case strapped to his back. But this time, something was different. Johnson took out his instrument, a regular six-string guitar fitted with an extra seventh string, something oh. that neither House nor Brown had seen before. But that wasn't the only new thing. He had acquired an insane skill level and unusual technique, strumming a series of rapid-fire chords that made the guitar sound almost like a piano. Whoa. So how could this kid return just a year later as the most talented blues guitarist in the Delta? He played Guitar Hero. Yeah. (laughs) So the crowd was completely stunned, and the only conclusion that they could come up with was that he had made a deal with the devil in order to get this insane skill. Right. So this is back in the 1920s Deep South, where the blues was already associated with the devil. It was like devil's music. Anything that wasn't like, oh, my home of Kentucky. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, It was said to lure away good men and women to juke joints. Make them fuck. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Where they would dance and drink and share unholy affections. (laughs) Oh, no. My word. Right. So it made perfect sense to everybody that Johnson's unearthly talent was bestowed upon him by Satan himself. This is like a really popular story with pop culture. This idea of making a deal with the devil to get musical talent. Yeah. Specifically like guitar. In my mind, for some reason, I make that connection between like the idea of fame and fortune and like selling out. Yeah. And like selling your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get riches and fame, but like you lose a part of yourself and all these musicians that die young. That's a good point. Psychoanalyst Carl Jung had this concept, kind of radical and weird, but it was called the collective unconscious. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, I have, yeah. It's like this idea that mankind has this pre-learned archetypical um, concepts, these images that we just all share together, mm-hmm. that we all subconsciously tap into and know. Mm-hmm. 
And I, when you when you see stuff like this, this whole like episode talking about these symbols that keep on reappearing with crossroads and thin places and stuff like that, it always gets me thinking about the collective unconscious and like why we just happen to fear the same things mm-hmm. all those miles apart and come up with the same stories and see the same things. Because it's true. Because it's aliens, dude. <laughs> aliens. So I'm going to deviate from history a bit and go into the more juicy bits of summoning your own crossroads demon. Oh, scared. So summoning a crossroads demon, what you would need to do, and this varies a lot too, like the rituals vary a lot depending on the person. So no two summoning rituals are the same. Keep that in mind. We're not making any promises. (laughs) If you decide to do this, um, don't come at me if it doesn't work. You should bury a box containing graveyard dirt, the bone of a black cat, and a drop of the wishmaker's blood in the middle of a crossroad during the new moon. It is said that then a demon will appear, taking a form that will fall in the summoner's liking. So something that would be like attractive to you if you're summoning this demon. A deal can then be done, trading the wisher's soul for a minor wish. It means that it can grant wealth, power, items or change emotions but it can't alter reality where the black man at the crossroads earlier was more skill or knowledge it couldn't grant you physical things okay this one can because it's a demon the deal lasts between one year up to 10 years depending on the strength of the wish and the purity of the wisher's soul a pure soul is worth more and the contract will be shorter so the demon can have it faster which i thought was interesting A darker soul might send more souls to the demon or cause more pain, so they get a longer contract. You get longer for the worst person you are. Right. Uh, The contract is then sealed with a kiss, which is so hot. That's obvious. I'd be so nervous. I'd be sweating. Like, um, so we're going to do it or what? (laughs) I got my box full of cat bones and blood and and graveyard dirt. Hold Uh on. Let me apply some chapstick first. (laughs) (laughs) Just chapstick. (laughs) Uh, If a demon is summoned but no deal is made, this is said to anger the demon, (laughs) and he could go for the kill to gain the soul regardless. The demon cannot hurt or kill directly, so things like food poisoning or a sickness can be ways that the demon can kill you indirectly. Yeah, food poison. That's that's an upsetting way to go. Right, but like Robert Johnson, he died. He went like that. He He went went some sort of poisoning. Right, he went in a very peculiar way. So maybe he upset the demon in some way. Maybe his contract was up and he was running from the devil and the devil eventually got him anyway. There's a, Okay, there's a famous Robert Johnson song called uh, Me and the Devil. Mm-hmm. And, one, and I just know the lyrics are, early this morning there's a knock on the door. Early this morning, ooh, you knocked upon my door. And I say, hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. And I said, hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. Hmm. Maybe that's relating to the idea of like a time being up. Yeah. Because he played into it. His songs were about like the crossroad blues. Like he right. had, he had song. It wasn't just purely made up after he died. Like it was there beforehand. That's so interesting. Creepy. I love how it all ties together, though. I love yeah. that idea. But it does say that. When the time is up, the wisher is able to offer another willing soul in its place by going to the same crossroad and sacrificing that soul. But when you do this, all of the effects are lost. If no soul is offered, then debt collectors will start hunting the wisher. So things like hellhounds or other demons will start pursuing that soul if you try and run. Yeah. 
Uh, Robert Johnson had a song called Hellhound on My Trail. Ha! There you go. I didn't know that. <laughs> I got to keep moving. Here's the lyrics right here. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. Blues falling down like hail. And the days keep on worrying me. There's a hellhound on my trail. Hellhound on my trail. That was weird. Um, so naturally, I went to Reddit to find particular stories. And I have a few that I would like to share. Story time. This one is from uh, the user Well-Trained Whore. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, if you can say Miranda, it's fine. Uh, yeah, right. It's another person's story. Yeah. But basically the story was that one guy wanted to talk to a demon and went for a walk in the middle of the night. He stopped somewhere where the area was quite remote and this dude came in a black car with a black dog and started to talk to him. They talked for hours, but the dude didn't really give out much detail about him. Instead, he listened to the fella that summoned him. After this, they said goodbye, and the dude got in the car and left. Sometime after this, he went for a walk again, and he thought of the dude that he met days or weeks back. After like five minutes, the same guy came, same car and same dog. They talked again for hours. It was literally in the middle of nowhere, and probably miles until the next house. He couldn't find an explanation of how this guy kept finding him or where he was coming from. They met three or four times in total under the same weird circumstances where he would think of him and then he would show up. Ooh. That one's kind of interesting. Eh? Yeah, it's very. I like the ones that are vague like that. Right, where it could be really anything. But in could that... be a tulpa. Remember the tulpas? Because yeah. he's thinking about it hard enough, he could just manifest it. Also, right. man in black, black car. Black mm -hmm. suit. Remember the skinwalkers were big black dogs? The collective unconscious. There's these images that we connect to things. Yeah. Something to it. This one is more of a funny one I liked. Benjamin Blake Dudes explains, A couple of friends in their early 20s went down to a crossroads in our hometown where a train track crossed a road. They did it with the intention of summoning the devil. A black Lexus pulled up and a man got out and circled them, sniffing the air. Then he laughed at them, got in his car, and drove off. <laughs> no idea what to make of what actually happened there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fascinating. So this one is more of a take on what it means to find a demon at a crossroads, and I'll leave it off on this note and tell me what you think of it. This is by Home Sweet Mobile Home. <laughs> Loving these usernames. <laughs> yeah, right. And they say, I know people have this almost romantic fascination with the crossroads. The crossroads aren't an actual physical place, but instead they are two intersecting life paths that you have to choose between. Although you can make this decision while standing on an actual crossroad, the real crossroad is internal. It could be on a boat or a plane, anywhere. While you are tempted daily to make bad decisions and contradict your conscience, the crossroad is a large life decision that you see as perpetual. It's like shrugging off the fact that your cornerstones are crooked, pretending that it's a minor detail as if it won't affect anything that's mm. built after. An all-encompassing shift. You might even still play the guitar as well as Robert Johnson, but in one scenario you are convinced you are damned and that the skill comes from an evil place. Yeah. That its purpose is to celebrate suffering. You can use it to try and take home married women and stay blown out of your mind, but on the other hand, you might play and know that it's a blessing that can affect people in positive ways. A God-given gift that some guy in a cheap used car salesman suit doesn't have the power to give or take away. Satan doesn't have anything to offer outside of deception. Remember that. Ooh, I like that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. 
that's like an actual lesson there. I liked that idea that it was more of a conscience than anything else. Like your mind is the crossroads and you have to constantly decide between maybe making these bad decisions and selling your soul that way. Right. If you were on your way to the crossroads and you had to get one thing from the from the devil, the demon, whatever, what would you get? Mm. Are we going like typical demon or are we going the black man? Let's do the black man because it's more limited. More skill. I guess maybe for me, like perception, understanding the inner workings and everything by just looking at it, like looking at somebody and understanding all of their desires and motivations, but also being able to look at maybe a language and being able to decipher it by looking at it or situations, being able to look at a situation and being able to look at it piece by piece and seeing it for exactly what it is being really perceptive okay when you strip away the paranormal stuff and you think about the crossroads everyone pictures in their mind a decision Mm -hmm. we've all stood at the crossroads before we all know if we've made a bad decision or if we made a tough decision right that's life right it's a life it's a bunch of decisions and then at the end you're an old man or woman withered in a bed and you go i should have done something different i shouldn't have asked for perception (laughs) (laughs) i know god damn it i should have asked for maximum strength for women for women all the women i should have asked for a woman and they say shut up grandpa and take your morphine bye (laughs) (laughs) but yeah if you guys had a different interpretation or just what your general thoughts and feelings were about that please let us know or if you have a different topic or question in mind you can let us know by emailing us at according to an idiot at gmail.com a reminder please send us the tinders and stuff yeah Uh, we also have a facebook and instagram at according to an idiot or you can tweet us at idiots accord please rate us on itunes that does help us a lot or just give us your general feedback i appreciate it always and tell your friends Tell your friends. If you have any. Tell your neighbors. Uh, <laughs> put up a sign in your yard. Put up a sign in your yard and share us. Share us on all of your socials, dudes and dudettes. Uh, so, good vibes. Good vibes. I think my good vibe for this week will be popcorn. What the fuck? Okay. I love popcorn. My good vibe is... <laughs> Decisions that you that you don't need to fret about. Have you ever come to a decision? You're like, oh, boom! I already know the answer to this. Yeah. Speaking of the crossroads, get out of here, devil! I'm good. I already know which way I'm taking this story, and it's towards happiness. Large-breasted anime women. Ooh. Primarily. Trust your gut. Talk about the devil. Go with your instinct. Truck, truck, truck. Yep. Truck drivers are cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to that nonsense. But we'll see you next time. Love you guys. I'll catch you players at the crossroads, and I will see you in time. Uh, Bye. Bye.